And welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Going for Two, presented by Home Field Apparel. I am your host, the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter, Matt Brown. I am joined this evening uh, by my friend and colleague, Brian Fisher, of the D1 Ticker and Assorted Publications. Uh, Brian... What on earth should we talk about today? I don't know. I can't, I can't imagine that there's anything that the news cycle has completely dictated we need to talk about. Especially not right before you're going to start recording here, you know, so I'm going to push this back, make some phone calls, do a little column writing in, in the case of your own your own self. It's, uh, you know, uh, just another breezy week in college athletics, huh? Another, another breezy day. So uh, every podcast is somebody's first. And uh, on the off chance that you are not familiar with what we're talking about, as we record here on Tuesday evening, um, everyone's favorite whipping boy, Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, has announced uh, that he will be stepping down effective uh, next year. This was, uh, I believe, from the press release, a mutual decision between him and uh, the, the institution itself. The guy that is the easiest person to beat up on Twitter and on social media and uh, and a newspaper and basically anything else is not going to be there anymore. I um, part of my initial like my 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 inclination is whenever the rest of the world is 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 zigging towards something simple. My first thought is maybe maybe I'm missing something here, right? And I I want to say that for one. This is kind of an, it's, in many ways, it's an impossible job. And it's obviously become a much more impossible job after the Austin case. It is a job, uh, and I think Mark Emmert has said this himself, a job where you are going to get a lot more blame or credit disproportionate to the amount of power that you actually wield from this organization. It's not exactly the same thing as a professional sports commissioner. So I understand that nobody who's ever held this role has really been greeted as a liberator. And you're probably always going to be yelled at. And I, I understand not all of that is due to Emmer. But I got to be honest. Despite me spending, uh, thinking really hard about how am I going to be fair? How am I going to talk up? The, this guy's like, this, he was bad at this job. Like there's, there's, there's no real nice way to put it. Part of the reason that everybody is constantly taking a, a, a baseball bat to this pinata is he deserves a lot of it. And it's I, I it is difficult for me to look back or imagine how you know what we how we'll look at this last decade or last decade plus here. I guess it was uh, a little over ten years uh, as head of the NCAA during this era and think that he this was anything more than, than uh, several missed opportunities. Uh, I, I can think of three or four particular places where really directly attributed to his leadership, he screwed up really bad. And then beyond all of that, he had a penchant in public settings for saying some really stupid stuff and and stuff that that maybe had he been a different person would have gotten more of the benefit of the doubt but because the rest of his actions show he didn't really deserve that benefit of the doubt it was really easy to tee off of him you know, you know what i mean and and I, I i think all of that the the aloof personality the foot and mouth around non-friendly reporters and then three or four just really missed uh you know really bad advice has led to like I mean I don't I know we're not doing with a big pool here. This is probably the worst head of the NCAA ever, right? 
I, I would say so. And uh, I, I think it's such an interesting contrast too, to, her, to his predecessor, Miles Brand, who took over and, and certainly somebody who was beloved kind of within the NCAA infrastructure, somebody who was very, I, I want to say warm and, and, and really caring about not just the student athletes, but, uh, you know, attentive to the needs of the athletic directors, to presidents, you know, really was able to bring a lot of them, you know, people there into the same room and try to yeah. find common ground. And Mark Emmert, I, I mean, he just hasn't done that. He has not provided the leadership that that position needed at its most critical juncture. And I think that is really the, the biggest underpinning uh, that, that really points to all his failures is that he was unable to rise to the occasion uh, at the time when the NCAA needed it most. And that really is is going to be really on his epitaph uh, as far as his tenure. I mean, you can go through, go through the list. He failed legal strategies, uh, not just the Alston one, but there were there were numerous ones. I mean, the NCAA, oh, you know, spent nine figures uh, in, in terms of nine, you know, over hundred, hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, in, in court settlements and, and bad, uh, you know, bad strategies uh, embraced by them. You know, he, he elevated the wrong people inside the national office uh, at times. I think there were just bad PR flaps that uh, he, he missed. And he just kind of, uh, you know, kind of shot himself in the foot a lot of times. I mean, enforcement has been a, a consistent mess. And, and I, I understand that a lot of that's somewhat out of, out of his hands, but uh, he, he has certainly not helped in those matters. And, uh, you know, he's, he's led basically three transformations of the NCA and three reboots, if you will, in terms of governance and, and structure and all that sort of stuff. And it just hasn't worked at, at each point. And, and really, I think the, the worst thing about it and, and really the thing that I, I think really has been lacking. Hacking, uh, since he took over, it was just vision. You know, he, he really has not laid out a good vision for what the NCA needs to become and and what it ultimately has to how how it has to get there. And I think that more than anything, he, he is he's gone with the flow. You know, at each time, and he's been a step behind at each time, and uh, that has been to the detriment of really the entire NCA and why his tenure certainly looks not very good in retrospect. That's it's a great point. And that is, if anything else, over the last two years or 18 months, that's been needed more than anything. Because if you are not able, as the head of this, this institution, to articulate a vision for what we want college sports to be and then what we want this institution to be beyond athletes don't get paid, which now you even fails at that because they are. Now it's just in the, the an even more inefficient and complicated and, and potentially problematic way. Um but there were six or seven different directions all of this could have gone. And and uh, to, to your earlier point about not being a beloved figure in, with, within this bureaucracy. I mean, um, it, took, it took me like five minutes after the announcement to get us a couple messages from folks of like celebrating that Mark Emmert is, is done. Like that, that oh, is the kind yeah. of guy, you know, that, that I, uh, I think is represented here. You're, it, it, it's a great point. I have not gotten a single thing from anybody that said anything nice. And it's one thing to lose athletic directors. Like the the, the I, we think we talked about this before. When Emmer got his extension last year, ads and conference leaders, by and large, were flabbergasted because almost everyone was sick of his shit. He the, 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 this was not a group that that really had a lot of faith in his leadership. Coaches and and people down down below at the athletic department level, I think, to a man and to a woman. Big school, small school, medium school were really frustrated with Indianapolis. And then, you know, part of the promise of Emmer, because I think it, it can be a little bit easy to forget what he was supposed to be, because this was a guy that had been a, uh, a university president and spoke provost, right? He'd been at, at Washington. He had been at LSU. He had been a, a high-level administrator at UConn. And given that athletic 
uh, maybe, but the university presidents, not ADs, are the ones that really uh, control most of the, the powerful levers in the NCAA that are supposed to be controlling what happens in college sports. Somebody who was really comfortable in this world um, was was thought to be this is the effective mechanism for meaningful reform. When Emmert was hired, and we go back to how people talked about him in 2010, 2011, this was supposed to be somebody who could like maybe continue some things from the brand era and make some big changes. And and I, I think probably to his to the most charitable viewing of this, I honestly got to think that's what he tried to do. And when he realized that that was going to be difficult or we got pushed back or he didn't have the faith in his membership then, then it was just path of least resistance. And how do I sound like the biggest dork in the world when I explain that? And then even then, even a lot of rank and file presidents. Uh, lost, lost, lost faith here. So that's when, when I, when I, you know, thinking about where, where the conversations immediately is after this. I think one, it's easy to take a very nihilistic view about the NCAA in general. This is not an entity that has virtually any public currency or credibility. Uh, there's, there's, the, the, whether that's Congress or at the school level or at the athletic level or at, within athletes, nobody has as faith uh, or, or believes that this institution has credibility. I maybe am a little bit different from perhaps some of our peers in that I actually still think there's a place for the NCAA. I don't think that the organization is going to completely disappear in the next three or four years, even if the the, the largest power five or the largest division one athletic departments end up doing something outside of the structure. I think there's still going to be something for this kind of entity, um, even though I, I understand why it would be easy to, to take a very nihilistic or cynical or, or empty view of the NCAA. So I, I think that, that maybe the, the next interesting question is who should take this job next? And one, it's a really hard job and we could talk about that here, but as I'm trying to imagine like, okay, what skill sets would be really important or valuable for whoever steps into this role? For me, I think credibility uh, is, is maybe the biggest one. And credibility among multiple stakeholders here. You need somebody who conference commissioners and athletic directors and people who live in the athletic world right now, not people who moonlight there or spend 7% of their time there when they're mostly working on things. So the people who are actually really involved in this world will, will believe and say this is a serious person who can understand our concerns and also knows how to execute on some of those things. So I think with few exceptions, I honestly think it would be difficult to put a university president in that position right now, because even if they, ha there's a couple of exceptions, but th th if you're somebody that, that really hasn't really been in that world, I, I think, I think that might be a challenge. You'd also need somebody that I, I think the general public and including some lawmakers would not immediately dismiss as an empty suit. And that is a very small list of people. I have somebody in my mind that I think, I don't know if this person would want to do it. <laughs> Well, we, we can get there. You know, it, yeah. it's funny because I, he he was such a uniter in and in, in all the wrong reasons, right? It, it, it's breathtaking, breathtaking it, that, it really that the, the farthest left and the farthest right and people that share nothing in common culturally or politically be like, this dude sucks, and it's really hard to think of other people honestly who do that. I mean, eighties presidents. You go down rank and file, folks. Even even folks in the national office, like he, he rubbed people the wrong way. And to be in the NCAA president, uh, you know, position, you you can understand you're going to make a, a few enemies. Uh, you know, rub you certainly rub people the wrong way in, at times. But just the the universality of it uh, always always struck with me. And I, I mean, it, it, he would parachute in, you know, certainly and and tried to 
put on a good show. And I think everybody saw right through that a lot of times. And I think that was part of it. You know, there was never a connection to, you know, showing up at, uh, at, at NAC and talking with compliance folks like, like, what is, what is challenging about your job? You know, he might, might do a, a conference thing here or there or do a conference call or, or a zoom or something like that. And, um, you know, I think everybody understood he was just kind of fulfilling his duties for, for the, the 10 or 15 minutes he spoke. And it was very much an empty suit for, in terms of meaningful, progress and change. And I think for the most part, the NCAA under his leadership has really been marked at, at the transition point of changing over from some of that rank and file day to day grind by put in by ADs, put in by you know, committee members, associate ADs, assistant ADs, compliance folks, uh, lawyers, and whatnot in terms of moving that organization on, on a day to day basis and shifting it to the presidents. And it's come back a little bit just because there's been so much work these last couple of years and, and the the progress being made on you know folks reaching out across the country uh, in terms of these committees and whatnot, in terms of the transformation stuff, um, you know, it changed a little bit. But for the most part, this has been a NCAA that has been dominated by the presidents that really, let's face it, they, they have not necessarily had that great vision for athletics. And I think that's been part of the biggest missteps, you know, in his tenure was the shift away from getting an input from athletic directors, getting the input from folks on the ground. And uh, I think that has uh, underpinned a lot of his his failings um, recently. Yep. And you mentioned, you know, who's going to take this gig and, and what kind of leadership qualities are they are they looking for? I would imagine knowing the board, um, you know, there, there's going to be a wide variety of candidates, whether it's outside general counsel types, you know, I, I mean, we saw that, uh, you know, David Stern coming up through that ranks in the NBA, the, you know, the, uh, Adam Silver again, maybe there's somebody like that type um, yeah. that they could Roger look at. Goodell too, right? Roger Goodell, yeah. somebody that, like that type, certainly given the, the, the amount of legal challenges the NCAA is facing and, and navigating post Alston uh, is going to play a role in that. But really they, they need somebody that, you know, can, can emphasize and, 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 and emphasize uh, what the schools themselves need to deal with you know, on, a, on a daily basis and think big picture at the same time. You know, I think that is, you know, what is the vision for the NCA? And I think when the candidates and, and whatever search firm brings them in front of the board, a lot of it is going to be like, where do you see us in five to 10 years? We, we already saw this week uh, in, in an SI interview with Jack Swarbrick, and you, you wrote about this on Extra Points. In terms of you know thinking about there's going to be a big breakaway, there's going to be more conference realignment in the 2030s. Uh, a stronger NCAA leader could have put a squash to some of this, you know, and, and maybe not all of it, but there could have been some leadership behind the scenes saying, "Hey guys, you know, cut it out." And then there was just never that strong, strong, strong arm uh, when it needed to be. And uh, I think that was something that uh, maybe maybe the school presidents and that are in charge of this decision on the board. And, you know, what? maybe we do need somebody that can come in and, and guide us and, and provide that leadership that has been lacking for a dozen years now. Yeah, you, you bring up an interesting point about the timing of this, right? I don't think it's a huge surprise that Emmer is... I mean, it's a little bit, it's a little bit surprising. Emma's sitting like at this maybe specific moment, but you know, the man's almost 70 and there's gigantic changes happening right now. I mean, it's, it's not unlike the big 12 with Bob Bowlesby right now. Like this is an inflection time for that conference is an inflection time for the NCAA. It makes sense to make a leadership change now. So the new person can come in yeah. but, and help shape some of those. I would yeah. imagine that an individual who might want this job, um, some people would say like, okay, this is the fact that there's a lot that's unsettled could be attractive. Somebody else might say like, I don't know what yeah. I'm signing up for if the transformation committee um, or if something happens with the courts changes everything in eight months. So I don't know if you find the right person before the committee uh, issues final results or if, if you wait or I, I, 
I understand the rationale here. I also would have understood it if this was a move that you make next year. Um, but maybe if you're so sick of Emmert, maybe you don't want him to be doing anything else other than like the bare minimum to, to shape some of these changes. But well, I, I mean, I, I think the, the the announcement as it was written was certainly said, you know, it, it, he'll stay on basically for another year, year and a half or so, basically until 2023. Right. Everybody I've talked with uh, tonight, at least, uh, has said that that, that it, they're going to move, you know, relatively quickly. I mean, these, these things do take several months. Got to hire a search firm, got to go through the process, got to go in for the board, got to present your thing to kind of the, the, the general leadership of the NCAA, you know, get get input from a lot of conferences and, and commissioners. That takes time. We, we understand that. But I, I think the general consensus is going to be that he's going to be out by at, at some point in the football season, right? Uh, by the end of 2022, for sure. Uh, yeah, I, six months, I think, I think was was the, the thing that I was getting in text messages, if not sooner. Yeah, um, I, I think everybody's airing for the sooner rather than later. And, yeah, and, 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 and you do this with commissioner changes some, sometimes, too, where even if you find the right candidate four months into it, they might work together for a little bit to, to, to pass along some of that knowledge. But but it would be a big surprise if spring 2023, Emmer is still in Indiana. Um, I want to talk very I, – I, 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 I would like to talk maybe some names or, or, some, or some other – uh, if not names, the leadership qualities or other specifics for, 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 for this, this role. The, I, I don't, I don't mind saying this. Like there's, there's, I think there's like, there's a handful of people that I think could potentially do this gig well, but uh, so as I'm imagining it, I think you would want somebody that, right. That has credibility with the athletic side of this operation. Also have some credibility with uh, some media members. I mean, I, I, I'm, you shouldn't, NCAA shouldn't like operate to please me. But I think if universally people like me think you you suck, that is going to make some of your some things difficult. So there are individuals that will have more credibility with at least pockets of the media world um, to at least give you the benefit of the doubt from the beginning. I think that's that's not for nothing. The other you know, part of that I imagine that that's that and as my thinking here is somebody with some professional experience may actually be a real benefit because. This transformation system and what high-level college sports is going to look like over the next three years is likely to incorporate some measure of professionalism, whether that is through collective bargaining, whether that is formally saying, okay, we no longer are equipped to serve athletes of this particular use case, and so we want to funnel more people into the G League, and we're going to offer like a very different kind of experience here. Somebody who's more equipped to talk about the way some of those systems work. There are probably a couple people that have this experience. To me, like the first person I think I would call would be Val Ackerman. Um, he has worked in professional basketball, has worked in college basketball, has a lot of credibility, uh, not just as a really fine basketball mind and someone that knows how to like run and, and create events, but also a, a policy-oriented person uh, and somebody who understands uh, you know business on multiple different levels here. I don't think she would be perfect, and she might decide I don't want that gig because that that gig's impossible. But like for me, like it, I I think that would be someone that would check an awful lot of boxes and would be thoughtful and diligent, and be able to handle some of the communication issues in this job that Mark Emmert was really bad at. Uh, not a, not, I think you know Val's Val's terrific. I think that would definitely be a good option. I I, I would have 
question, I, I guess, just in terms of whether she would want to take this job. Uh, she's got yeah. a great gig here at the Big East, you know, at the Big East, and I think she she loves that gig and and what it brings to uh, you know places like Madison Square Garden during March. And I think she's she's comfortable knowing that her legacy is pretty secure. And uh, I think she just would, if anything, you know, she might look at the the USA Basketball gig as maybe her next step. Um, yeah, that, just at that personally, too. but uh, I, I, when uh, the initial list, you know, all come out and you're kind of thinking about your know, candidates and, and back and yeah. bouncing back and forth. And I know you mentioned not having a school president, um, you know, be involved in this, but I, I think two came to mind. Uh, initially, and that was Kirk Schultz, who we've kind of talked about a little bit in terms of the Big yep. 12 commissioner, somebody who's very, hands- very athletically involved. Yes. President. You yes. know, like somebody who gets both the academic world, uh, having been a dean and, and, and a school president at, at multiple stops, uh, he, you know, ACC degree, you know, he, he's got, you know, experience in the SEC, Pac-12, Big 12, like you, you hit the, the major power five conferences and, and he's got experience and somebody who truthfully recognizes the importance of athletics to a university, which I think that, you know, is lost on uncertain presidents. So I think he would be a strong candidate. You know, we, we, you, it was, it was funny because like literally this week, you know, he kind of came out and said, I'm not a candidate for the big 12 commissioner. And literally like that, as soon as I saw that, I was like, well, maybe he, he's saving, uh, saving time for it to take Mark Emmert's gig. And, uh, and of course, literally days later, uh, that ends up happening, he's, but he's, he's taking the Oklahoma job. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know, the other name that uh, came to mind beyond Kirk Schultz was, was Chris Howard, uh, former Robert Morris president, uh, served on the college football playoff committee. He's now at ASU and in, in kind of a non presidential athletics role, but, uh, you know, kind of running their development, but a uh, former Air Force running back, um, you know, I mean, you talk about like taking off all the boxes that uh, you, you could ask for in terms of the the entire role and, and what it will serve. And, um, you know, I believe he's got his JD. So like, he, you know, he, he I think he would be a very strong candidate if he wants it. And, and I think for a lot of these these names that we're going to bring up and, and discuss, a lot of it is. Well, do they want this? And yeah, you're getting paid two or $3 million a year. Um, you know, you, you kind of get to run the show at, at events like the NC convention and all that, but it is a tough gig. And like we've been talking about with some of the challenges, you're going to have to do a lot of fence mending. You're going to have to do a lot of traveling. You're going to have to do a lot of handholding and you're going to have to provide some vision that frankly, it, it, it's a big task. And so maybe some folks say, I, I, I don't really want to jump into that. I know I can get a cushier gig for the same amount of salary, if not more. Uh, but th- those are the two presidential names that they came to mind yeah th- those I, I i would agree both of those i think would be would be high on that list uh you're you're right it is it is a difficult gig to recruit for and we could talk about this more I, I think here in a second for for several of those reasons uh you know i had i had one of my readers kind of uh you know, jokingly say you know matt matt maybe you should apply right and the salary is going to be great but beyond the fact that you got to have high level executive vision and your political constituents inside and outside the organization are have terrible morale, and you they they may not like each other very much. Also, you got to move to Indiana. That's that's where this thing is headquartered. And like I I could say, you know, I've lived in Indiana before. I did the whole Kokomo thing for a little bit. I'm not really interested in going back and making that the center of my life. But you know who is interested in making Indiana a big centerpiece of their life? Our title sponsor at home. Field Apparel, the most, uh, the, the producer of the most comfortable, most unique vintage athletic apparel that you can find anywhere. Uh, true sons and daughters of the heartland 
in Indianapolis, Indiana. I, not not that far from the NCAA headquarters. I want to I, I want to say their office was closer. Now they've moved to like the Speedway District because their warehouse is gigantic. Because more and more people are doing things like using our promo code Extra Points to save fifteen percent off their first order and recognizing that uh, basically everything that Homefield creates is stupendous. Um, I'm kind of cold. My my, it's the weather's kind of weird in Chicago tonight. My my heat doesn't really work, so I'm wearing this jacket. But underneath my jacket, I've got my Tulane Green Wave with a surfing pelican. There we have we have the, the to, to honor Mr. Honor Mr. Emmert. Had to, honor, had to go with the Washington shirt. Yeah, yeah. I know. I should I should have went, gone and, and grabbed uh, grabbed my the Ennui Husky because what what could have better celebrated Mark Emmert than? Uh, a, a Yukon dog that is either constipated or contemplating rushing in front of a train or watch the 2019 football team. You, who knows? Um, that's not what I'm wearing because one thing that Homefield does very well, besides animal mascots that are struggling with the, uh, the unbearable burden of existence, is they also have happy animal mascots that are celebrating participating in athletic activity. Surfing, playing baseball, golfing. Uh, a litany of other things, sometimes not even the mascot for that exact school. So I would encourage you to spend some time, look for the the animal mascot or the, the old-time university that fits your world. It doesn't matter if you went there. I, I, I lived in a Tulane dorm for like a week. I lived down the street from Tulane. I never got, I did, I never got in. I never attended a, a, an accredited class there, but I can still wear this shirt. And you can wear a shirt from a school you didn't attend to. Steal some university valor today at homefieldapparel.com. Use promo code EXTRAPOINTS to save 15% off that order. It is, it's interesting for me. I mean, first, I think to talk about how, how hard this job is because I, I feel like we were just recently kind of evaluating how good like the Big 12 commissioner gig was. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's funny. You, you really could imagine somebody saying like, I would rather be in charge of the com- the conference with the lowest media payouts and as an, an uncertain to like standing in this world rather than taking this other highly public job um, where my odds of success are low. And, and the, your the, power is being yeah. stripped like that. That's yeah. the other thing. Like Mark Emmert is handing over the baton to the next person and he's literally has stripped a lot of his power out. The NCAA, not just from the Alston decision, but like the NCAA is abdicating a lot of things to the schools. Right. And to the divisions themselves, it's whole part, all part of this transformation committee and all that. So it's like the next NCAA president. It's going to be the least powerful in, in the NCAA history. Like go, you go back to Walter Byers, you know, ruling with an iron fist and, and moving things with a snap of the fingers. That is not going to be the case here. No, I Walter, I mean, that guy basically controlled the Big Ten and the NCAA with like a staff of like three. One thing I, I was kind of thinking about as I'm imagining potential candidates and kind of texting with a couple other people this evening. Uh, Brian, you're, you're familiar with the concept of a glass cliff, right? Yep. Yeah, it's for, for those, those that aren't familiar, um, the this as, as I understand it is a term that is a uh, sometimes assigned to like a a high level business executive role or a political role, where uh, the chances of success are very low and the odds of you being blamed for that failure are high. And an organization decides now is when we go bring in a woman or uh, somebody of of color uh, with whom that we not would normally not entertain for this particular role. And then when they they fail, we can go back to, to the white guys. This is a thing that kind of happens a little bit in college football when you notice that the, the teams that are more likely to hire a non-white coach or perhaps uh, you know give somebody the benefit uh, to you know, go beyond their the typical bubble 
are the Kansas footballs or, or the jobs that are terrible and and uh, people take them because they want a job even though they know that they're going to go three and nine uh, in, in in three years. The, the person who comes in to take the CEO job when the stock is about to tank and there's nothing they can do about it. I am not necessarily saying this is the glass, glass cliff gig. I did literally just recommend Val Ackerman for it. Like, but I could also understand that on one hand, I think there may be pressure to not hire a white male in his early 60s potentially to take on this job. But I could also see some candidates looking at this and reaching that exact same conclusion that I don't want to be the person who comes in there and gets the blame when 75 schools leave or when college football, as we kind of know it, becomes redefined of an I go down in the history books. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I think that is a, a big consideration for a lot of folks is and, and it'll be interesting to see how transparent the process was uh, is going to be w- with this in particular, because I don't think it necessarily was when, when Mark Ebert was selected. Um, and, and obviously you have various governing bodies. And, and you, I, I think there will hopefully be some sort of input um, you know, from the membership at large in terms of what they are looking for as part of this process. We'll, we'll ultimately see how it uh, happens. There's you know some board meetings, the D1 board meets uh, soon, soon enough, and I'm sure we'll get this filtered out. Everybody will start discussing it, and, and I'm sure there will be uh, more of a plan uh, in the next couple of weeks. But it's going to be interesting. You mentioned, you know, I mean, like somebody like uh, Baylor President Linda Livingstone, who's on yeah. the Transformation Committee, uh, somebody who would, would tick a lot of boxes, um, you know, former just, student athlete herself. Married uh, to one. I just talked to her. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, they, like somebody who would definitely fit the bill in terms of experience, in terms of having the background, in terms of somebody who's cleaned up messes before uh, there at Baylor. And uh, I, I mean, like you talk about uh, really getting, you know, athletic right as part of the entire university picture she's she's definitely done that there in waco but you know is this a gig that appeals to her is this something that she knows yeah there's there's a bit of of a limit and her more than anybody is going to know that because she's on the board she's on the transformation committee so she's part of these changes uh so i think that would be um you know tough for her to probably take the gig but um i'm sure her name is going to come up i'm sure val's name is going to come up uh you know it's just going to be interesting to see kind of what what the ultimate candidate mix is because um you know you could see somebody like even kevin warren kind of his name popping up for this uh, but does he want to take that you know he's, he's already understands the, the slings and arrows uh when you end up canceling a football season in, in the big 10 country what, what are you going to do when uh you know you throw an entire conference under the bus with with ncaa sanctions or something like that uh you know i think that uh, is, is going to be in the back of a lot of people's minds is just the negatives really outweighing the positives in a, in a job like that which makes it a, a difficult uh, search to kind of kind of handicap a little bit i am less interested in the actual name that gets picked six to nine six to eight months from now i think as i am learning more about the thought process and and what skill set and what and what what places you fish the, i think the, the other the other thing that we've you know i mean both- uh, not to interrupt you just a, just yeah, a little no. bit but like this is the same board that is going to be guiding this process that gave mark emmer outside of like two names that have changed over it's the same same board that gave this guy an extension a year ago. Like th- yeah. this is happening on the one nearly one year anniversary of one of the most ill received and, and ill timed contract extensions that uh, the NCAA has ever handed out, which is the same. Yeah, I love when they dropped it at like seven o'clock in the evening, like buried on like the eighth paragraph of some other press release because they they definitely felt good about it. If I remember right, and I might be misremembering it. The, the genesis for the extension was that Emmert was getting interest from being a, a university president jobs elsewhere. And he was just like, look, sky's falling. And the only guy you can trust right now is the guy that's been tearing things down for the last 15 years. And so you better give me an extension or I'm going to go back to LSU or go somewhere else. And then, you know, 
I guess that argument worked if that is what what it, what, in, what in fact happened. You're 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 right. We've talked here about conference leaders. We've talked here about a couple of presidents. I, I suppose potentially a current a sitting conference commissioner could could get involved there. You know, it's, it's funny you mentioned Kevin Warren. Like I was, um, I could have seen a world where the Urban Meyer situation ended differently, where this would be Gene Smith's job um, as somebody who has done like every committee and has actually liked and respected. Um, I imagine there would be some op eds about that. If, if, you know, if, 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 if that was a, a person, I mean, I if you want to go yeah. short term, if you, if you kind of view this as more of a transitioning type role, then, then sure. Somebody like Dean Smith would, would make a lot of, a lot of sense. I, I think his age kind of works against, I think they do kind of want to get probably somebody a little bit younger, somebody a little more youthful and, and up for the rigors of the job. But, uh, you know, kind of who knows we, this is certainly very early in the process. Very, very early. The, the, the one thing we haven't really floated here would be getting somebody completely different. So like I saw here that like uh, you know my friend friend of extra points friend of, of what we of like our, our kind of extended universe here uh, Dr. Victoria Jackson over at Arizona State who's a history professor and she was like you know maybe this next thing should be two jobs you you bring in an expert in like American higher ed policy and your search committee beyond like this board of directors as art would you know would bring a lot of academics and you would have somebody. Uh, who is 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 a much more you know administratively focused person, and then you bring in a second person who's like uh, I think she described as a front office executive in the English European for in like American professional sports, and and literally split the role that way. And I'm like, well, I mean that would make a lot of uh, university presidents extremely uncomfortable because they'd have to uh, that that would force them to acknowledge the fact that this is a professionalized entity, but. Maybe that gives you a better, some better outcomes. I imagine that somebody out there in the next two days is going to publish something suggesting Condoleezza Rice. Uh, I would recommend that you don't write that column. Um, although, I mean, I mean maybe somebody calls her. Um, but the number of other people that I, I think would have interest and have some credibility and could and like the we know of that would be considered that are not part of this world, it's, it's probably pretty small. Um, the, 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 them going out and getting a George Klyavkov, like out of left field kind of guy to head this whole entity. I think that would surprise me a little bit, especially with like the, the media background, which that is going to be a, a part of the, the new person's kind of job is, is redoing the media contracts. We, we know that, uh, not only are we going to have to look at the, at the final four contract down the road in, in the 2030s, but look, I think everybody understands from the. Uh, gender equity report and and everything that's gone on in the last couple of months, uh, just in the talk around separating out the women's basketball championship, the other NCAA championships, those are all going to be new media negotiations that, that are going to happen soon. The sponsorship component, uh, all the money oh, that has been God. left on yeah. the table, like that, that is another big thing that you can throw against the wall and on Mark Emmett's you know grave is is the fact that uh, he undervalued March Madness and did a such a terrible job with that contract. Just the way it's structured, just the the payouts, it is severely undervalued when you look at the market. And, and I think anybody who's connected to the media industry would, would have told you that at the time that it was, yeah, it was this big old figure that they could tote around with this X number of billions, but it, it, it's an undervalued television deal. And I think even you get some, some truth serum to CBS and Turner, uh, that they, they are thrilled at the fact that it is because they're making a lot of money off the NCAA tournament. Even, even with the canceled one, I think it was just a, such a, a bad deal. Missteps, I think along the way. And, and I think, correcting some of those issues uh, are, are going to be part of the, the, the new commissioner, new commissioner's job. I, it would shock, shock me if, if 
the, those television deals aren't split up a little bit to, to where I, I could see a world where it's the men's tournament, the women's tournament, that you, you combine the baseball and softball tournaments, and you might even peel away one other thing and then sell the other like 14 as, as some other secondary thing. When you factor in how much not only the men's tournament has been undervalued, I, I want to say it was hundreds of millions of dollars given that the NCAA prioritized security in a very long-term deal when that is the opposite of how most of these deals are going now, but then also extraordinarily underselling women's basketball and probably like softball and baseball too. You're looking at $750 million in lost revenue, like over the course of this TV deal, 600, 800 enormous. Uh, I, I, I can imagine Literally every single school membership would love to have the extra couple million bucks or a hundred thousand dollars from a more appropriately managed deal. And and not and kind of getting back to your point earlier about the NCAA not going away, like those NCAA championship events, they have such value, right? Whether you're a student competing in them, whether you're a school president, a commissioner, like everybody wants to win those NCAA titles. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to watch. It's a big deal for people to tune in. They they know the weight of those NCAA championships, whether it's Beach volleyball, whether it's in, in uh, you know, FCS football, like the, the, those championships carry weight. And and that organization that, that is running them is, is still going to have a lot of value going forward. And we, we've talked about the NAIA is still around, right? After all these years, and they've still been chugging along. And that's an organization that's that's not going away anytime soon. I don't think the NCAA is going to go away anytime soon. But the new person has a lot on their plate to deal with, starting with uh, a, a lot of those those media issues that we just talked about, the exposure that is happening uh, on the women's side and in, in, in women's athletics in general. Um, you know, that is going to be a big part of really not just the, the story about the NCA and, and these schools. I, I think worldwide, the, the growth of women's athletics is, is going to be a big part and in, in something the NCA can have a helping hand in in terms of you know shepherding along a lot quicker than I think people expect. If the right person can come in and, and maximize the value, maximize it for schools, maximize it for the athletes themselves, and, and really maximize it for uh, everybody involved. Yeah, the the number one priority is not how do we get our media deals correct. The number one priority has to be um, how do we prevent us from falling into complete existential disrepair? How can we ensure that we exist and this industry exists in five years? And what kind of vision can we articulate? That what you're talking about still in the top five and under normal circumstances, that would be the, the number one thing. Um, I I guess I can I can close with this. I, I, I recognize that it's it is possible that I am being too optimistic or too institutionalist and that truly wanting to be an accelerationist and watching this entire thing fall apart and have something else rebuilt is the most ethical or, or, or the best solution for athletes and fans and institutions. I recognize that's possible. I'm not there yet. And maybe that is a function of the kind of work that I do and the kind of people that I talk to. Um, or maybe it's 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 me being skeptical that blowing everything up automatically builds something better, especially because if we do blow it up, most of the people that have to build the new thing are these same people. So I would assume if this thing sucks and we blow this thing up and we let the same people build something else, that's going to suck too. So I, I, I am hopeful against all hope that bringing in somebody who could do what Emmert was supposed to do, but better, can produce some positive outcomes. I don't know 
a lot the answer to a lot of these big questions. I don't know where I don't know where they're going to go yet, and I don't know to what extent the NCAA even controls some of that fate. Clearly, they control much less than they did five months ago because they are at the mercy of the court system, not just about antitrust, but about whether players are employees, about collective bargaining, about um, their ability to enforce many of these other rules. So I I don't know, but I am I am hopeful that um, some better high-level executive leadership can make things better for for all of the entities that are involved here. Well, I mean, you, you mentioned the, the biggest thing there, leadership. That That is what this 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 new president has to have. You know, he has to get people pulling in the right direction. And there there's always going to be disagreements. I mean, this this organization is comically large. Right. And so there's always going to be people that, that disagree with where things are going or how they're happening or how fast or slow they are happening. And that, that's just always going to be present. Right. And, and there's always going to be outside criticism, you know, from enforcement to obviously you have Congress, you have uh, really pretty much <laughs> across both aisles. Uh, people want to throw in, throw in their own slings and arrows against the NCA. And that's going to be present in this new job, no matter whether the, the, the incoming president does a good job or a mediocre job. But the, the bottom line is they, they need somebody that can not only repair a lot of relationships, but provide a direction for everybody to go. You know, what, what is that North Star going to be? What is that vision in the next five or 10 years? And that is the, the biggest challenge that uh, the NCAA is going to be facing is, is finding somebody that can can not only guide them there, but but knows where they're going, because that has not been the case these last 12 years or so. Um, you know, there's um, the O'Bannon case, you know, the name, image and likeness. Uh, obviously, we, we have Alston, like a lot of these things could have been prevented. If somebody could have looked into the future and said, hey, guys, really need to get on this you know like we're, we're kind of missing the boat and we're, we're going to get uh, we're going to get sued we're going to get uh congressional involvement and somebody could have headed a lot of the issues that we're facing now in college athletics off at the pass if they just had the foresight to look at things look at where they're going and know that uh, we're probably not going to survive another three or four years in the current system but uh you know the ncaa under mark Emmert, they kept milking things they kept stringing things along and um now they're now they're here and it is a big inflection point for the entire organization big inflection point for really college athletics and, and the athletics ecosystem in general. And uh, it's going to be a fascinating search to play out. And, and I'm sure we'll follow along as we uh, kind of hit uh, a few more episodes on, on this topic to down the road. Un- unquestionably. We'll be, we'll be following along here on going for two. We'll be following along on extra points, which you can read at www.extrapointsmb.com, collegiate sports connect and D one ticker. All of those things, except for the full extra points experience are free. So you, you should sign up for those and you should get this podcast five stars so other people can find it. And you can, of course, get the full extra point subscription experience for just $8 a month or $70 for the whole year um, for free. You get two newsletters a week, but uh, as a paid subscriber, you get all five. Um, I think I plugged everything there, Brian. Did I miss anything? Uh, not that, not that I can think of. I think that was a pretty good overview of everything. D1 ticker essential right now. If you want to keep up with the latest, not just on this NCAA presidential search, but all those changes that we've just been talking about in, in college athletics for now and in the future, it's something that conference commissioners read, former conference commissioners, key figures in the industry, ADs, uh, coaches, you know, the, the, the wide gamut, uh, even media members like, uh, like ourselves, uh, we're, we're readers long before we ended up, uh, you know, working, working for the organization. So it, it's an invaluable resource right now. And, and you mentioned collegiate sports connect too. I think we're, we're bound to have a few extra additional conversations with folks in an, in the know and in, in the industry, uh, about, uh, Mark Emmert, uh, his tenure and, uh, kind of where the organization goes from here on that subject, if not a lot more. 
uh, over the coming yeah. weeks. Yeah. We haven't seen my face on Collegiate Sports Connect for a little bit because I've been on the road and then was off. That will be changing very soon. I think the I think my first interview that I did about Wichita State should be up by uh, today when you listen to this. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we're going to go try and do some, some typing up here and some other phone calls here before I go pass out. It's been a long day. Uh, I would I would appreciate it next time if the head of the NCAA would announce that they're leaving um, earlier in the day. In the meantime, thanks for listening, everybody. We will catch up with you tomorrow.